Well, good morning and welcome to Bachelor Creek. Uh, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're in week six of our Word to the Wise series. And I hope that it's been helpful and practical for you as we have gained insight from the book of Proverbs. And today we're looking at wisdom in marriage. Some of us here are married, some of us aren't. But either way, as we talk about marriage today, I, I want to preface this message with this statement. These principles will help you gain wisdom in any relationship, not just in the context of a marriage. When I was in college, I, uh, one of my good friends, Josh, was getting married, and uh, his fiance Ashley, lived in Florida. And his, uh, his uh, bachelor party and wedding was going to take place near her hometown, and so a few days before the wedding, uh, a bunch of the guys, we went down there to get ready for the wedding and to... Uh, spend a few days with him, and uh, we were close to the water, and so uh, we went out on jet skis one day. This was the day before the wedding. This was part of the bachelor party, and it was fun. It was a beautiful day, but as young men tend to do, uh, it got a little reckless. It got a little careless, and uh, Josh and his brother were trying to get close to each other but not hit each other, and uh, Josh's brother accidentally rammed right into Josh's jet ski going full speed shattering Josh's leg. Josh fell off his jet ski into the water, was knocked out unconscious. We grabbed Josh, put him on the jet ski, got him back to shore as quickly as we could, uh, took him immediately to the hospital. And the first concern is, is Josh going to be okay? And we learned pretty quickly that he didn't have any life-threatening injuries, but that his leg was going to need extensive surgery. So now the second concern became, what are we going to do about the wedding? And it became clear that Josh was going to be in no condition to go to the church. This was going to be no wedding at a chapel, no wedding at a church. And so the bridal party and all the guests were sent home. The wedding was canceled. I should add they had a European honeymoon that was canceled. And the next day, Josh and Ashley were married in his hospital room with him sitting in his bed. Not an ideal start to a marriage, right? If, if you're setting the odds, like, is this a good sign? Are they going to last? You would say, odds are stacked against them. Not ideal. But I'm happy to report that Josh and Ashley today are still happily married. They defied the odds. They're still together. And I, I think what happened to Josh on that jet ski is a metaphor for how a lot of people tend to view marriage. They see it as an accident to be avoided. If you enter into it, you're going to crash, you're going to get hurt, it's going to be a disaster. But listen, marriage can be a beautiful thing. Every time I meet with a couple for premarital counseling, I'll always say in the first session that marriage is wonderful. I want to get out of their head these worldly views of marriage. Because a lot of people, they've got friends or they've got family members, oftentimes it happens in the workplace. When somebody at work finds out that they're getting married, they begin to tell them things like, don't do it. You're going to regret it. You're losing your freedom. And if you hear those things long enough, in the back of your head, you start to believe it. In the back of your head, you think, well, maybe marriage isn't all it's cracked up to be. Or you start thinking of a way out before you've even got started. And so I'll tell couples right from the start, marriage is wonderful. It's challenging, but you have to invest in it. 
But marriage is beautiful because it's designed by God, and it points to a reality that is so much deeper than just a man coming together with a woman. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul talks about how the church, the body of Christ, believers in Christ, are the bride of Christ. And Jesus is the groom. And there's this this spiritual relationship of how Jesus gave his life, he gave himself for the church. And so our marriages are to be a reflection of that, one of sacrifice, one of unconditional love, one of true union. And so today, I want you to see that husbands and wives glorify God by giving up themselves rather than giving in to the world. We glorify God in our marriages by giving up of ourselves, not by giving in to the world. And so today, I want us to gain some wisdom from God's Word. There are three principles in marriage that we find from the book of Proverbs that I want to share with you today. So if you have a Bible, Proverbs chapter 12 is where we are going to start. And the first principle that we will see in Proverbs 12 is that you must serve your spouse. Serve your spouse. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4, it says, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. Now, when you first hear that verse, the men, we may feel like we're off the hook, right? Right? He's just talking about wives here, you know? Guys are kind of have their chest puffed out a little bit. I'm feeling pretty good about myself right now. But in the words of Lee Corso on college game day, not so fast, my friend. Because the mindset behind that statement is applicable to both men and women, husbands and wives. The word noble is an original Hebrew word. It's also translated as virtuous. And essentially what the writer wants us to see is the type of character that our spouse possesses is such a crucial piece to our life. The one characteristic that simply must be present in our marriages is that of self-sacrifice. If you've read the Bible, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if, if you know anything about the life of Jesus, you know that this is the way of Jesus. In John 15, verse 13, he said, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for one's friends. Those whom we truly care about, we will sacrifice for. The reality of sacrificial love is that no matter what the situation, this love will be helpful to the other person involved. In the case of of Jesus, his sacrificial love made a way for sinners like you and me to be in a right relationship with the holy God. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we are now able to choose to receive the gift of salvation in Christ but it is extremely hard to achieve this self-sacrificial behavior in our own marriages. Why? Because we are all naturally selfish. And the Apostle Paul, he knew this to be true, and that's why he wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourself. If we really want to have a thriving marriage, it must begin by valuing our spouse above ourselves. We must be willing to lay down our life for our spouse, showing that we care rather than just saying that we care. Actions really do speak louder than words. 
I'll tell you, my wife Tara has sacrificed so much in our marriage. A little over four years ago, I told her that I wanted to go back to school. And it had been 12 years since I had taken a college class, but I'd always had this dream, this goal of pursuing a master's degree, but, but the timing never felt right. After I got my bachelor's, we moved to Texas, and we were in a new place, learning a new ministry in a large church, and, and then after that, we started having kids, and, and they demanded so much of our, of our time and energy, and, and it felt like about four years ago that we were in a place where the timing felt a little more right, and Tara, she supported that. And so she stepped up and she was taking care of things around the house and making sure that things were running smoothly and, and allowed me those early mornings and those late nights studying and, and writing papers. And, and I'll tell you, it was a very stressful four years. And she did it all without complaining. She did most of it without complaining. But a few weeks ago, I finished up and graduated and it feels like this huge weight has been lifted off of our shoulders. And and I will forever be grateful that Tara was able to put her dreams on hold for me. And what's interesting is now she gets to pursue her dream. She is going to start taking classes in the fall to get a master's degree in counseling, to become a licensed counselor, and, and, and I will be stepping up and I'll be doing a lot of those things that, that she took the lead on over the last four years. But with this type of love, if we're willing to show it, it will remind us that as a couple, we're in this relationship together. Give up your selfishness. Serve your spouse. And this leads us to the second principle that we need to share today about marriage. Avoid the comparison trap. Avoid the comparison trap. If you still have your Bibles open to Proverbs 12, look a few verses later in verse 11. Proverbs 12, 11 says, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. What land is the author talking about? His land. The writer seems to be convinced that the only land worth our time and attention is our own. But, but how many of us would admit that it's easier to judge another couple for their visible flaws? while we ignore the things that need to be addressed in our own marriage. Like, like we'd say, yeah, sure, there's some things that we need to work on, but, but at least I'm not like them. At least we're not going through what, what, what they're going through. And we say things like that. It's often said that, that no marriage is perfect, and unless you've just gotten back from your honeymoon, you would probably agree that that's true. We, we all have things right now that need refining. We all have things that need our attention to work through as a couple. But the sad reality is the divorce rate continues to be high. There are many people who would rather just scrap their current reality and start over with someone new instead of working through issues as a couple. And the Bible speaks to this in a sense all the way back in Genesis 2. Right after God had formed the man and the woman, he says in Genesis 2, verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. The New Living Translation says, the two are united into one. So if this is true, there's no way we, continue, we can continue to try to work through our marital issues on our own. It isn't a one-way street. As, as we saw in that first point, 
both parties must be willing to sacrifice for the benefit of the marriage. But friends, this only happens when we decide to invest into our own marriage rather than focusing on judging others. If you're married, I want you to think about what do you remember most about your wedding day? What do you remember most about that day? Surprisingly, I remember that I wasn't very nervous. Now, I was extremely nervous when I asked Tara's parents if I could have her hand in marriage. Probably the most nervous I've ever been. I remember I was incredibly nervous the night that we got engaged. I had this big plan. We went out to eat, and we went to downtown Indianapolis. Uh, It was December 20th, and so downtown was all Christmas-themed. There were lights, and my plan was to go to the top of of the of Monument Circle there on the monument and get down on one knee and propose to Tara. And so we eat, we walk up the steps of the monument, it's pretty, we, we walk around the circle one time and I'm trying to muster up the courage to ask the question. And one time around, I still haven't got it yet. So we walk a second time around. And the second time around, I'm still not quite there yet. And, and at this point, Tara's teeth are chattering. She's shivering. She's thinking, what are we doing out here? Like, let's get inside. Let's get some hot chocolate. I'm like, okay, third time's a charm. Let's do it. We walk around a third time, and finally, I get down on one knee. I pop the question. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. At our wedding, I, I, remember, I can remember Tara walking down the aisle. I don't remember much of what the minister said. And I'll tell you, as a preacher, that just instills so much confidence in me that you guys really remember what I say. Um, But I do remember the vows. I remember the commitment, the covenant that that we made to each other to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. It was a commitment till death do us part. And you know what? That leads me to believe that it will take a lifetime of self-sacrificial love to work through things together. As two broken, sinful individuals whom God is purifying and making one, it will take a lifetime. And there's an angle to this idea that we must be aware of. We must learn to be grateful for the marriage that God has blessed us with. The comparison trap is real, and if we aren't careful, it will ruin us. So stop comparing your marriage to other marriages, and stop comparing yourself to your spouse. I'm telling you, in your marriage, if you start keeping score, you will grow bitter. Well, he never does this, or she always complains about that. I've said I love you four times, and he hasn't said it back to me. Or maybe you've said this before. It's not fair. It's just not fair. I'm telling you, you've got to cut that language from your vocabulary. Our college basketball coach would tell us anytime that that we made a mistake or we said something or or did something wrong, he would say, wrong song, Bluebird, okay? If, If you're saying it's not fair, I'm telling you, wrong song, Bluebird. When you serve your spouse the way of Christ, you're not thinking about what's fair. Fairness is not the goal. Glorifying God is. So so maybe today, maybe you could spend some time being reminded of the qualities that first drew you to your spouse when you were dating. And if you're not married today, maybe you could think about what qualities God has given you to bring to the table. 
and work on growing in each of those. It's truly a blessing to serve as Christ, as a model of Christ's love for the church and our marriages. But listen, it won't happen naturally overnight. Give up the comparison. Work on yourself. And this entire conversation leads to the third principle that I want to share with you today. Humbly seek guidance. Humbly seek guidance. There's a common lie that as Christians sometimes we believe. We think if there's something wrong with my life, it means that I just need to have more faith. Or if I just had more faith, then this wouldn't happen. And I'm here to let you know today that that simply is not true. In fact, when we face trials and we go through struggles and we face frustrations in life, God will look to use those things to actually strengthen our faith. And when it comes to our marriages, maybe today you've been listening to this message and and you've been hearing things like how we need to work through issues together and we need to work through the bumps in the road and you're thinking to yourself, I've tried that for years. I mean, I've been doing that for years and, and nothing's changing. And, and you're, you're just about ready to give up. You're about ready to call it quits. Here's what Proverbs eleven fourteen says. For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. The first part of this verse is quite simple. The, the writer seems to believe that if there's no true guidance, people will fall and fail. There was a family who moved into a new neighborhood, and one morning they got a late start. And as a result, their six-year-old daughter missed the school bus. And even though it was going to make him a little bit late, the father agreed to take his daughter to school if she could give him directions. They were new to the area. He hadn't dropped the kid off at school, and he didn't know exactly where to go. And so after 20 minutes of going around in circles, they finally arrived at the school, which turned out to only be a few blocks from their house. Well, frustrated and angry, her dad asked why she drove him all over the place when the school was so close to their house. She said, we went the way the school bus does. That's the only way I know. And there are some of us who have been driving around in circles, getting frustrated, angry in our marriage because we've relied only on our own wisdom and knowledge to get us through the tough times. And maybe that strategy will guide you through some storms, but not all of them. God has provided us with two resources when it comes to working through marital conflicts of any kind. First, God has provided us with himself. In the first week of this series, we talked about how wisdom, understanding, and knowledge all comes from God's word. We can't rely on on a Sunday message once a week to to get us through. We must be in the Word every day on a personal level. As a church, this month, we've been reading through the book of Proverbs. 31 chapters in Proverbs, 31 days in May. So today, May 21st, Proverbs 21. And if you haven't joined us yet, it's not too late. Get in, read Proverbs. It's, It's full of wisdom. But our reading of Scripture must also be prayed must also be paired with communicating with God. He's listening and and he's ready to answer your prayers. I grew up in the church and I've been praying my entire life. And and so has Tara. 
And while I believe that my faith doesn't save Tara and Tara's faith doesn't save me, as a married couple, spiritually, biblically, we are one. But if I'm honest with you, the early years of our marriage, functionally, we operated as two. And I don't know how long it's been, but it's been several years now. We made the decision to begin praying together every night before we go to bed. And, and, and we just started beginning to seek God together. And what that did is it began to create a vulnerability and an intimacy in our marriage and with God. I don't think I'm qualified to get up here and give you 10 tips to a greater marriage. There's a lot of books, there's a lot of podcasts, there's there's conferences you could go to and you would get a lot of great advice on that. But I can tell you this, God has provided himself for you. And if you want your marriage to grow, seek God in prayer with your spouse. I know some of you are probably thinking, but, you know, my relationship with God, it's personal. It's between me and God, and my wife's relationship with God is between her and God, and, and, or I, I don't like praying out loud. It's uncomfortable. We're talking about your spouse, the person that you are closer to than anybody else on the planet. Maybe it's awkward at first, but it's worth getting past because I'm telling you, you will experience a, a deepness and intimacy with your spouse with God that you've never experienced before. But the second resource God has provided us is other people around us. Jesus talks about our support system in life. We are called to build our lives on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ. And we're we're called to invite other people into the process with us. We were never intended to do life alone. And hear me when I say this, we were never intended to do marriage alone. We need to answer this question. Who outside of your marriage can be a resource to you and your spouse? I'm not talking about somebody who's perfect. I'm not talking about somebody who has it all together. I'm just talking about somebody who has more experience than you. Maybe it means going to see a counselor together. Maybe it means finding a couple in this church to to, to walk alongside of you. Maybe you're in a group here at church with with somebody, a couple that, that you can seek guidance from. Maybe you need to join a group. No matter what or who it is, we all must have an outlet to go to. We must have a listening ear that can help us process things in an unbiased way. And this is what the second half of Proverbs 11, 14 is talking about. What type of counsel, if any, do you and your spouse currently have around you? We as a church would love to come alongside of you to help your marriage thrive, not just survive. Give up your pride. Seek guidance. And as we wrap things up today, I want to encourage you to turn your attention back to the topics that we've talked about over the last several weeks. We talked about the fear of God. We talked about wisdom with work. We talked about wisdom with words. We talked about wisdom in parenting. Next week, we'll talk about wisdom with friends. And each week we've spent 30 minutes or so talking about these serious and important topics. I would encourage you to revisit some of the verses in Proverbs that we've studied together. Spend time reading them slowly and ask God to help you put them into practice in your own life. And do the same as it pertains to marriage. Proverbs is full of good wisdom, good counsel, and good guidance. But like any amazing resource, You have to be willing to get into it. 
A resource only helps you if you use it. And we truly wish to see your marriage thrive. On the back of your sermon notes, you'll see a QR code. You can scan that or you can go to bachelorcreek.com marriage to check out some resources that can help you prepare for marriage or help you grow in your marriage no matter how long you've been married. You can check out some, some videos and some Bible studies from Right Now Media. You can work on your communication by getting a conversation starter kit. You'll be able to see details about an upcoming uh, marriage event that we're having here this fall at Bachelor Creek. You'll see details for that. You can even sign up for that today. You'll see some links to some other websites, some blogs, some podcasts, and I hope that you will use these resources. Remember, husbands and wives glorify God in their marriage by giving up themselves rather than by giving in to the world. So maybe today you need to give up your pride, give up your selfishness, give up trying to work on your marriage on your own. Humble yourself. Seek God. Seek out the resources that are available to you that can help your marriage thrive. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you that you have not left us to our own devices, that you have given us resources. And I, God, I pray that we will utilize these resources. God, that when we look at Jesus and we look at how he gave himself up for us, and that Jesus as, as the groom and, and, and the church as the bride, that it's this incredible, incredible relationship. It's a picture. It's a picture of, of what our marriages are. So God, I pray that, that we would live sacrificially. And we would do so because we know that Christ sacrificed for us. God, that we would let go of our pride, we would let go of our selfishness, we would let go of these things that, that, that are holding us back. And God, I pray that we would seek wisdom. We would seek what you have given to us. And God, my prayer is that we would have healthy, growing, strong marriages that we would understand that, that we can't do it alone. That we need you and we need the help of others. And God, I pray that every single one of us, whether we're married or not, knows that we can't do it alone. We can't live life on our own. We can't save ourselves. We need a Savior. And you sent Jesus to be a Savior for us. That he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him and Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. God, if there's anybody in here who has been living life on their own apart from you, God, I pray today would be the day that they would surrender their life to you and make Jesus the Lord and Savior of their life. Strengthen us, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.